I love music. I love many kinds of music. I entered the ministry when I was in college, and I decided I would like to complete a minor in music. Unfortunately, because of the way they're structured, it was going to require an extra year of study, so I let it go. Instead, I was a part of a gospel rock band. It was not great rock, and there wasn't much gospel. But we had a great time. What kinds of music do you like? Do you have some favorites? Why do we connect with music, the music we listened to when we were teenagers, more than we do to music we've heard as an adult? Psychologists and neuroscientists have confirmed that these songs have a disproportionate power over our emotions. Researchers have uncovered evidence that suggests our brains bind us to the music we heard as teenagers more tightly than anything we'll hear as an adult. And it's a connection that doesn't really weaken with age. So music nostalgia, in other words, is not just a cultural phenomenon. There's some science to this. Music lights these sparks of neuroactivity in everybody but it does it particularly for young people. And the sparks turn into a fireworks show. And between the ages of 12 and 22, our brains undergo rapid neurological development. And the music we love during that decade seems to be wired into our lobes for good. When we make neural connections to a song, we create this strong memory trace that becomes laden with heightened emotion, thanks partly to the growth hormones taking place at that time. These hormones tell our brains that everything is incredibly important, especially the songs that form the soundtrack for our teenage years. Now, I enjoy many types of music. I enjoy rock and roll. I enjoy classical. I enjoy blues. I enjoy some easy listening what my boys call elevator music. And since I grew up in a pastor's home, I am also deeply connected to many Christian hymns that I learned as a child. But I must confess that I am tied to the music of the 60s, my teenage years. I confess I'm an oldies fan. When I ride my bicycle on the Katy Trail, I listen to the 60s on 6 on Sirius XM. Sometimes we kind of get locked into music that we grew up with and we miss out on some of the new songs. Betty Jo and I went to see Hamilton in Kansas City earlier this year. Betty Jo has never really liked musicals. She just endures them because I like them. And she's never listened to hip-hop or rap. But Hamilton has become Betty Jo's new favorite. She has memorized all the songs. She knows all the words to all the songs. She listens to the soundtrack almost every day, sometime during the day. I sometimes go to bed earlier than her, and she has her headphones on. I can listen to her sing in the other room while I'm trying to go to sleep. 
Today, I want you to hear the psalmist. He says, it's time to sing. It's time to sing. The psalmist calls upon us to sing a new song. And this song must acknowledge God as the universal king. He has won the victory over all opposition. No one stands to oppose him. His rule is persistent, permanent, and uninterrupted. Each new generation of believers experiences and reaps the benefits of this victory. That is why we are called to sing his song and to join the celebration. We sing a new song to the Lord our King because he has done miraculous things. His right hand and his holy arm have brought deliverance. He has remembered and shown his unchanging love and his faithfulness to Israel. But the song is not just about Israel's deliverance from exile. It is a song of deliverance as universal as his kingship. We've all been delivered. It is a song of deliverance. The poet calls upon all the earth to join in singing this new song. To burst into song. To shout for joy. To offer praise in song. It is praise for the Lord's victorious kingship to be sounded forth by the congregation at worship. But the congregation now represents the whole world's population. All of us joining in a song of praise. In fact, the praise of men and women is not enough. It's not sufficient. Like in in Psalm 96 and what we've already heard today from the children and from the choir is that we are to join in a chorus that includes the great rivers clapping hands, the mountains urging that were urged to shout aloud for joy, the roaring sea. You know, the sea was the ancient symbol of chaos. But the sea is called to praise and all its creatures. The entire world and all of its inhabitants are summoned to praise. Why? Why? All of creation should praise because of the intending presence of Yahweh, the Lord. He is coming to judge the earth. And His judgment is good news for a world that will be judged with righteousness and equity. All this sound, all this sound raised in praise and celebration for the one who comes to judge the earth with righteousness. It is a hymn of promise that all the peoples of the world are in good hands. They're in good hands. You know, sometimes we just go through the motions with our praise. The hymns of praise may be sung without a genuine acknowledgement of God. We may not even listen to the words we sing. Peter Lockhart wrote about one of his colleagues who said a good way to test a person's faith and whether it's growing is to ask them this question. What is the last song that they learned which had an impact on their faith and how long ago was that? 
those of us who love music, those of us who believe in a sung faith, this is a meaningful question. And even for those of you who may struggle with music and singing, there is something to this. My middle son is a music teacher and band director at Raytown High School. He did the music degree I missed out on. His wife is the orchestra director at Elise Summit High School. A lot of music in that family. Joe's graduate degree is in music composition. And Joe, like a lot of musicians today, believed that John Williams is the greatest composer of our generation. He has written the film score for more than a hundred films, including some of the most memorable of all time. Saving Private Ryan, Harry Potter, Schindler's List, Superman, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Indiana Jones, Jaws, Jurassic Park, Star Wars. I think we know a lot of those, don't we? The psalmist encouraged the people of God to sing about their faith, to genuinely sing with heart and passion. And we can easily see the power of music in our lives and in our faith. We remember songs. They bring back memories. They speak to our souls. They can enfold us in a warm hug like an old friend. Or they can lead us to feel again old hearts that we had long forgotten. You know, Betty Jo still cries when she sings the song from Hamilton where he mourns the death of his son. Music's powerful. It's powerful. You know, I've discovered through the course of my ministry that often our favorite hymns embed themselves in our lives at an early age as children, young people, and young adults. I suspect it's the same way that it does with secular and popular music. We're in this period in our lives when our identity and our sense of being is largely determined. It is true with respect to our faith as well. In these years, our emotions are strong. There is vitality and hope in our outlook, and there is passion for life and for love. In terms of our singing, our old favorites are often associated with times of new and surprising discoveries about our lives, our faith, and our God. Sometimes learning a new song, singing a new song, and doing it exuberantly like the psalmist suggests, sometimes it's not easy. It involves taking the risk to actually sing the new song and be open to the new things in our journey of faith. The psalmists call us to sing songs about what God has done. We sing praise to the Lord the Almighty today. We didn't sing the third verse. Chris, that's my favorite verse. 
the hymn writer said, ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriended. What God can do and has done. You see, generation to generation, the music in the church has changed. A Presbyterian minister from New Zealand once wrote a sermon in the late 1800s suggesting that the organ was the devil's instrument. I think I've heard some of the same things said about drums and electric guitars. Careful, I have two guitars. Music changes. Styles and instruments and words change. And we are invited to sing a new song to the Lord. Those new songs may be the same ones the ancients sang. They may have been rediscovered, given fresh wording or an updated tune. Yet whenever they come, wherever they come from, they are an opportunity to bring the congregation together in praise. Of course, the question of seeing a new song might be applied to every aspect of our lives and our faith. God is constantly calling us to new expressions of who we are and what we are to be doing. In the book of Lamentations, the scripture says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. We believe in a God who comes to us fresh every day. He reinvigorates our souls to create the new moment in which we are to live and to remind us of the faithfulness of God's love revealed in Christ. The psalmist announced a hope on the horizon. But it was a hope that was not yet fully realized. The people of God are dealing with the challenges that come from being an exiled people. They are far from home. And the world does not seem safe. And they seem to be a long way from the place or the time of God's reign. And when God's reign is near. The psalmist proclaims, regardless of the facts on the ground, the Lord will come. He is coming. He is coming to judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Obviously, the facts on the ground for us are different than the Old Testament children of Israel, the ancient worshipers. But I don't think the psalmist would have any trouble seeing the injustice and inequity evident in our world today. Political rhetoric aside, we obviously continue to live in a world with racism, with an environmental crisis, with health care problems, with greed and great income inequality, and with many other challenges and problems. We long, like the children of Israel of old, for the roaring seas of our lives and the, the entire chaotic world around us to be healed and turned over into songs. We long for it. We yearn for the presence of the Lord, for blameless judgment, and for verdicts that create righteousness and equity. 
The Lord who has acted marvelously in our past will arrive once again. This is the gospel promise of the song. Meanwhile, the church is to shout and sing. To shout and sing. The heart of the psalm describes believers who grab every musical instrument available and make a joyful noise to the Lord, the King. You see, this music is not some empty triumphalism. and It's not merely whistling in the wind. The current problems in our lives and the world cannot be dismissed lightly. We have to face them. We have to name them. We have to grieve them and we have to work on them. But the work of faith is this. Worshipfully shouting and singing to one another that no matter what, the Lord is King and He is coming. Judgment is just around the corner. Righteousness and equity will surround us, even if we cannot quite yet perceive it. That's the promise that gives all who shout and sing motives to live with righteousness and equity and most of all, hope. Hope. You see, it is no small thing that there is such a king. It is no small thing that he is here and he is your king. He is here and he is here for you. That ought to lead us to sing. Sometimes a song is so overwhelming, we cannot sing. It's no wonder that they called upon the rivers to clap and the mountains to shout. You see, if they had known about distant planets and galaxies, they would have called on them too. And still they would have felt their songs were inadequate. And they would have been right. There is no song of praise adequate for our God. But we sing on. We sing. Frederick Beechner wrote, Music helps us to keep time in the sense of keeping us in touch with time. Not just time as an ever-flowing stream that bears all of us away at last, but time also as a stream that every once in a while slows down and becomes transparent enough for us to see down to the stream bed the way at a wedding or watching the sunrise, the past, the present, and the future are caught up in a single moment. And we catch a glimpse of the mystery that at its deepest place, time is timeless. Music and praise do that for us. When I was in college, I sang in a large non-audition choir, over 200 voices. I could sing as loud as I wanted, nobody could hear me. I still remember one of the anthems that we learned and sang in that choir. It was entitled, My Eternal King. A portion of the words say, My God, I love thee. Not because I hope for heaven thereby, or yet because those who love thee not must die eternally. Not for hope of escaping hell, not seeking a reward. Even so, 
I love thee and will love and in thy praise will sing solely because thou art my God and my eternal King. It's time to sing. It's time to sing. Let's pray. Gracious God, God who puts a song in our hearts, help us to sing on. Father, I pray if there's someone here today who's never sung your song, never opened their life to a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, I pray that today, in a simple step of faith, they would invite you into their life. Father, in each of our lives, it is our prayer that your will would be accomplished in every day, in every moment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.